Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, we've got an update on the voter registration dispute in Truro, as well as news of a possible resolution of a legal dispute surrounding potential development on Provincetown's waterfront. We've also got the results of this week's special town election in Orleans, and Ira Wood is here with a matter of opinion for Veterans Day. Truro town officials, residents, and property owners traded testimony in a series of proceedings Monday evening as the Board of Registrars began hearings on 66 voter registration challenges that have been filed with the town. The challenges called into question the eligibility of some voter registrations and set in motion a process that will probably run through Friday. Residents spoke of defending their right to vote and feeling targeted by town officials, while Raphael Richter, who filed the challenges, argued that he was protecting the town's voter integrity. Richter apologized for taking the time of anyone who was actually a legitimate voter, but he said something strange was clearly afoot when so many new voters registered so close to a special town meeting. Prior to the Monday hearings, 20 of the 66 voters challenged by Richter had switched their registrations out of Truro, and Richter himself had withdrawn three of the challenges. Six of the nine voter registration challenges presented to the board on Monday were deemed insufficient to be struck from the voter roll, while three challenges were upheld and resulted in the individuals in question being taken off the rolls. Donna Brewer, an attorney representing several of those named in the complaints, said during the hearings she would consider appealing the board's decision to uphold the challenges, a process which would involve filing a case through Superior Court. The Truro Select Board is accepting applications for a vacancy on the Zoning Board of Appeals. According to an announcement on the town's website, candidates are being sought for an unexpired five-year term or an alternate member with a one-year term. Both terms would expire on June 30th, 2024. The Zoning Board of Appeals, or ZBA, is a regulatory board that conducts hearings on requests for variances and special permits. It works specifically with the town's zoning bylaws, interpreting them and making judgments about their intent. The board meets remotely on Mondays, either once or twice every month. Because the ZBA is a regulatory board, candidates must be year-round residents who are registered to vote in Truro. The application to serve is linked on the town's website. Members are appointed by the select board, and the deadline to apply is November 22nd. In Provincetown, a multi-million dollar proposal to build a mixed-use complex, where now stand the ruins of the old reliable fish house, won the support of town officials when it was presented in 2019 by developer Christine Barker. Abutters have presented a series of legal challenges since then, but court filings entered this week indicate that a settlement of the dispute is in the works. A trial in state land court on zoning issues that had been scheduled for November 13th has been taken off the calendar. 
Lawyers representing Barker and abutter Patrick Patrick released a statement saying that the parties are working on settlement details that they expect to be complete within 60 days, at which time the zoning cases will be dismissed. Barker's proposal calls for the demolition of the fish house structure, which was condemned after a fire in 2015, and the construction of a new 31-room hotel, four residential condos, a restaurant and bar, a meeting space, and some parking. The new building would sit on a platform about 17 feet above sea level on the harbor side because of FEMA requirements. A special permit to allow the building to exceed the town's height limit was granted by the planning board in March. Barker is supposed to build one off-site affordable housing unit in return for the privilege. That permit is part of the appeal that would have been decided at trial. Barker also plans to reconstruct a 260-foot pier at the site. A beloved Provincetown institution is back in action as the Soup Kitchen in Provincetown, or Skip, opened for its 32nd season on Monday this week. A winter beacon in the Provincetown community, Skip provides free hot meals every weekday from November through April. Lunch at Skip starts at 12.30 p.m., but guests frequently overflow the United Methodist Church Hall, forming a line as early as 11.45. By the time service starts, the line stretches out the door. Skip board chair Philip Francini estimated that the kitchen would serve more than 200 meals on opening day as he looked at the growing line from the serving station. Given rising food costs and the associated increased need in the community, his organization expects to surpass its record of 23,000 meals served last winter. Skip keeps more than 100 volunteers busy, with about 20 working on any given weekday. It's said that opening day at Skip resembles the first day of school, with old friends reuniting after a summer apart. Locals welcome the chance to get out of their homes and mingle with other people. The sense of community can be as important as the hot meal, as things get quiet around town in the wintertime. The menu on opening day included hamburgers, tomato soup, hash browns, and an apple salad. Vegan burgers and gluten-free buns were available too. Executive chef Gina Larkin said the team is always careful to add fresh fruit and veggies to every dish, as those things may not be easy for the guests to have at home. Half of all the food Skip prepares over the winter is provided by the Greater Boston Food Bank. The other half, mostly fruit, vegetables, and meat, is paid for by donor contributions. Larkin says that while lots of people in the room are overlooked in Provincetown, Skip provides that sense of community for people who come to lunch for all kinds of reasons. Francini was quick to point out that Skip serves whoever wants to come. November through April, Monday through Friday, Skip serves lunch from 12.30 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. at the United Methodist Church, 20 Shankpainer Road in Provincetown. As the Outer Cape braces for winter heating bills, it's important to know that help is available if you need it. November 1st marked the beginning of the heating season for the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, a federally funded program that can pay a portion of your winter heating bills based on household income. 
Chris Hoddle, director of the Provincetown Council on Aging, said that although it doesn't completely cover heating costs, it's absolutely helpful. The program is available to people whose household income is below 60% of the state's median annual income. A full list of maximum income levels can be found at the state's Department of Energy Resources website. The money is paid directly to the resident's energy provider. Both homeowners and tenants can apply. If utilities and heat are included in your rent, you can still get help if you meet the income threshold. For those who qualify, the program will provide up to $600 for the winter, which could cover a couple of months' worth of heat. Hoddle said that it's not uncommon for people to need this kind of assistance on the Outer Cape. The median household income, averaged across the four towns, is about $80,000. Hoddle also recommended that residents sign up for a free home energy assessment from the nonprofit Cape Light Compact. That organization will send an inspector to your home to assess its energy consumption and create an energy report that may include recommendations to upgrade your heating, insulation, and appliances. Cape Light Compact can also provide discounts on making those improvements. Those assessments from the Cape Light Compact are available to people of any income. For more information, you can visit capelightcompact.org. And in Brewster, AmeriCorps Cape Cod volunteers spent Monday in the pouring rain clearing out the Stony Brook Herring Run of debris and invasive plants. An annual project coordinated by the Department of Natural Resources under the direction of the Herring Warden, DNR staff member Dylan Merritt said only lightning could postpone the day-long project. The AmeriCorps crew working at Brewster's Herring Run included 13 volunteers from all four AmeriCorps Cape Cod houses. The work spanned both the north and south side of the Herring Run, and by the end of the day, they had removed six truckloads of vegetation. Stony Brook and the Mill Ponds are thriving fish spawning routes, and the large-scale cleanup at the run is essential each year. Senior Shellfish and Natural Resource Officer Ryan Birch said the help from AmeriCorps has been crucial. On Monday, the goal was to expose the stone walls and remove unwanted vegetation. A lot of the growth is invasive, non-native vegetation that spreads throughout the stormwall rocks. The effort is designed to promote more native plants and ensure that the entire run is clear for the fish. AmeriCorps Cape Cod volunteers work at their individual placements during the middle of the week, but every Monday and Friday, they come together for group service projects. Birch said upcoming projects they hope to work on with AmeriCorps members include wildfire mitigation in the Punkhorn by removing vegetation along the roadside and hauling in sublegal size oysters to protect them from the threat of ice in the bay during the winter months. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. There were no surprises in Tuesday's special town election in Orleans as voters passed all three overrides put before them on the ballot. 
Question 1 sought to fund salaries and benefits for eight new firefighter positions for the Orleans Fire Department. Voters overwhelmingly approved the question 1294 to 411, according to preliminary results released after the polls closed on Tuesday. The staffing funding will be supplemented by additional money in free cash that was authorized at the October 16th special town meeting. Voters also passed Question 2, which sought an additional $500,000 to be put toward the purchase of a new ladder truck for the fire department. That measure passed 1190 to 510. The funding comes in addition to $1.6 million that was approved for the truck's purchase at the annual town meeting in May. Question 3, which sought money to create the equivalent of 1.5 new positions in the town's recreation department, also passed with voters 1180 to 519. The funding will also be put toward additional maintenance costs incurred by the department. Prior to the election, three articles seeking support for the funding requests passed with voters at last month's special town meeting. A total of 1,706 voters participated in Tuesday's election, a turnout of about 30 percent. Town clerk Kelly Darling said that about 1,100 of the 1,500 mail-in ballots that were sent out to residents who requested them were returned. A Harwich man accused of raping three girls pled not guilty to the charges Thursday in Orleans District Court. Barry Viprino faces three charges of raping a minor, indecent assault and battery on a person 14 years or older, and unlawful possession of large-capacity firearm magazines. Judge Robert Welsh III ordered that Viprino be held on a total of $200,000 bail. The defense attorney assigned to represent Viprino said the accused claims he's being blackmailed by the three alleged victims for money and denies he had non-consensual sex with any of them. Cape and Island's assistant district attorney Courtney Scalise said Viprino is alleged to have threatened the girls' lives and the lives of their loved ones in exchange for sex that was non-consensual on several occasions. She said the girls were all 17 at the time of the alleged incidents. There are currently two cases against Viprino that include similar charges. In August, the first case was filed against Viprino, accusing him of raping a girl in his office and threatening her with a gun. The other two rape charges were filed after the alleged incident in August. In 2003, Viprino was also charged with rape and indecent assault and battery on a person 14 years or older, according to court records. That case went to trial, and he was found not guilty. Viprino was part of an effort in February of 2017 to request that part of his property off Chatham Road be exempt from wetlands regulations based on an agricultural exemption. The request was denied by the Harwich Conservation Commission, and he appealed the decision through Barnstable Superior Court and the State Department of Environmental Protection. In April of 17, the Harwich Board of Health issued a cease and desist order on Viprino, claiming he was operating an unlicensed piggery, was selling meat wholesale to a Yarmouthport market without the necessary permit, and wasn't properly managing a large compost and manure pile on the property, 
where Resilient Family Farms is located. Scalise said if Vaprino is found guilty, he could face up to 140 years in prison. Vaprino is due to appear back in court for a probable cause hearing on December 14th. A landlord known across the Outer Cape for renting rundown properties and ignoring municipal tax bills is now in trouble with the federal government. David Delgizzi of Weston was ordered by a federal court judge to explain why he hadn't responded to directives from the IRS about his delinquent income taxes. The show cause hearing was set for November 6th at U.S. District Court in Boston. Delgizzi did not show up. He told the court he had a family emergency and had to travel unexpectedly. The judge continued the hearing to December 13th. An agent for the IRS requested the hearing after trying without success to obtain documents connected to Delgizzi's 2022 tax returns so he could calculate what is owed and add it to Delgizzi's growing tab. The agency placed a lien on Delgizzi's properties in April for a little over $2 million owed in federal income taxes. The amount covers six years of income taxes due from 2012 through 17. In January, the state also placed a lien on Delgizzi's properties, this one totaling about $382,000 for his personal state income taxes and meals taxes due from his businesses. Officials in the towns where Delgizzi and his wife Carolyn own properties have spent years trying to get them to pay their property taxes. In Truro, the Delgizzis currently owe $488,000 in real estate and personal property taxes on their five properties, which include the Truro Motor Inn, which lost its license in 2020. The town of Eastham took two Delgizzi-owned condominiums for non-payment of taxes in 2020, but their deteriorated condition has been a major challenge. Delgizzi still owns nine properties in Eastham, on which he owed $21,000 in real estate taxes as of the end of October. In Orleans, the Delgizzi's own the now-closed Lobster Pound restaurant and two houses they rent out. They owed that town $18,000 in back taxes from two previous years, but paid the bill in full days before a story about their delinquent taxes was published in The Independent. The Delgizzi's purchased three properties in Brewster in 2019 and 2020, making the purchases as Truro officials were in a court battle with them over the dilapidated Truro Motor Inn, and as Eastham was completing the taking of the two condominiums in state land court. Brewster treasurer-collector Lisa Vitali said that David and Carolyn Delgizzi owed $38,000 in taxes in that town as of November 1st. Four Bulgarian college students in Provincetown on the State Department's J-1 summer work travel program spent nearly their entire season in Provincetown searching for help with an abusive landlord. Provincetown's police department repeatedly told them and the employers who advocated for them that their allegations, which included wage theft, assault, destruction of property, and illegal entry into their rental unit, were a landlord-tenant issue 
and therefore a civil matter to be addressed in Orleans District Court. The students, all in their early 20s, did not go to court, although they did seek help from Provincetown's leaders outside law enforcement, including the town's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Director and the Health Director. After almost eight weeks of escalating incidents and three trips to the police department, their landlord and side gig employer Paul Schofield was arrested when Health Director Leslie Roll witnessed him assaulting one of the students during an inspection of their rental unit. Steve Katsarinas, who serves on the Provincetown Board of Health, said the incident points to the lack of an ombudsman dedicated to Cape Cod's foreign workers. Katsarinas said it would behoove the county government to hire someone to work full-time on these issues, considering how many foreign workers there are on the Cape. One of the abused students' employers suggested they contact Donna Walker, director of Provincetown's newly created Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. She gave the students advice on contacting their program sponsors, regulators, and potential sources of free legal help. The town has put some of that research on a new page for J-1 and H-2B workers on its website. It includes links to the State Attorney General's Office, the Better Business Bureau, an oversight office in the State Department, and the American Civil Liberties Union. Katsarina said he was glad that the town's DEI director had been involved, but an ombudsman at the county or state level could help ensure that vulnerable foreign workers are treated fairly. And finally today, Cape Cod Children's Place received $293,000 in state money that will allow the center to spruce up its East Ham home. The governor's administration recently announced the names of 20 organizations across the state to be awarded a total of $8.5 million in grants from the Early Education and Out-of-School Time Capital Fund. The main goal of the fund is to renovate early education and out-of-school time facilities that serve primarily low-income families. Cindy Horgan, executive director at Cape Cod Children's Place, said she's grateful for the governor seeing the importance of early education and its role in making communities stronger. The grant will allow Cape Cod Children's Place to improve their space, as part of their center is brand new, but part of the building is 30 years old. Previously, the YMCA of Cape Cod used $1 million in early education money to build a new center by renovating space at the Hyannis Village Marketplace, Cape Cod Children's Place has the capacity to serve up to 40 families with children from six weeks old through those entering kindergarten. Additionally, the organization provides family support services across the Cape and Islands. You can find out more about the Cape Cod Children's Place at their website, capecodchildrensplace.com. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. Today is the designated Federal Observance of Veterans Day. 
the holiday honoring military veterans of the United States Armed Forces, people for whom I have nothing but honest appreciation of their willingness to serve and empathy for their sacrifices. But traditionally, the celebration of Veterans Day and its sister holiday, Memorial Day, have been occasions marked by marching bands, flags, and rhetoric, and for many of us civilians who attend the ceremonies out of respect, there is often an unmentionable, invisible elephant in the room, and its name is war. Although we're well aware of the wars raging in Ukraine and the Middle East, the United States itself has been engaged in continuous armed conflicts through ground forces, proxy forces, or airstrikes for well over 20 years. But because I've never been in the military, and it is not my place to speak, I thought I'd channel someone who is eminently qualified to take on the topic. No longer with us, he was a veteran of World War II, a long-time Wellfleet homeowner, and a former friend. His name was Howard Zinn. Always scholarly and yet compulsively readable, always impassioned without being a scold, Howard Zinn's writing seemed to capture the essence of political situations with clarity. He reminds us that when patriotism becomes the order of the day, those who question war are seen as traitors to be silenced. When he was a young man about to enter World War II, Howard called himself an eager bombardier, and in spite of what he refers to as a bone-deep hatred of war, he was so anxious to get overseas and start dropping bombs that he traded places with another man who was scheduled to go overseas ahead of him. He felt that the war was a mission of high principle for the rights of nations to independence and self-determination. But after the war, he began studying history and started questioning America's own history of expansion through war and conquest. He himself was surprised to learn that the Revolutionary War was supported by only one third of the colonists, Native Americans, black slaves, and many American colonists felt at least as oppressed by the upper class of America as they did by the English. Howard reminds us that the people who fought wars are not the people who benefit from wars. He writes that a lot of people who volunteered for the Mexican-American War of 1846 did so for the same reasons that so many poor and working-class women and men volunteer for the military today, because they hope their fortunes will improve as a result of enlisting. In our textbooks, the Spanish-American War was sometimes called a splendid little war because it lasted only three months. We did it to free the Cubans, Howard writes, because we're always going to war to free somebody. We expelled the Spaniards from Cuba, but we didn't expel ourselves. In the midst of the Civil War, one part of the Union Army was fighting in the South, while another was in the West, destroying Indian settlements. As a result, 
more land was taken away from the Indians than in any other comparable period in history. While Howard Zinn's many books talk about our country's shame, he was equally critical about his own. He recalls a mission that he flew over France in the waning days of World War II, in his own words, unthinking and unfeeling, like a programmed robot. Since the war was all but won, he suspects that one of the reasons for the massive air raid was to try out a new weapon, which he later discovered was the first use of napalm in modern warfare. So, during Veterans Day, I'll be suitably quiet, honoring the sacrifices of our military, but there is no way I'll ever honor or forgive the politicians who continue to send them to war. I'm Ira Wood, and that is my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Jacob Greenberg and Henry and Jane Fisher for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And I'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to become a sustainer of the Outer Cape News program with your donation of $15 a month by calling now, 508-487-2619.